and everyone. Glad that you are here. Uh, we have this distinct pleasure and privilege of having Dr. Gary Fenton with us uh, to speak to us this morning, to preach to us. I want to thank Greg Rogers and Chris for sharing the last couple of weeks, for the staff, um, for all the volunteers who helped as I was out of town. Thank you very much. This morning, uh, as I said, Dr. Fenton is with us. Um, Dr. Fenton was uh, raised in Missouri, moved here from Texas, and is well known in our city because he's ministered for the last 25 years of uh, his ministry as pastor at Dawson Memorial Baptist Church, retired last August, and is now an advancement officer uh, for Samford University. Uh, so Dr. Fenton is well known in our city, and I, I saw Gary, you're going to be shocked, uh, I, I saw Gary at Starbucks one day, and uh, as I was there, he had just retired last year, and I just asked him, would he be willing to come share at Fullness sometime? And he said he would love to. And so it's our pleasure to have Dr. Fenton with us. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting, uh, when we started the church 25 years ago, plus, uh, almost 25 coming up next year. Uh, I bought a series of books called Mastering Ministry. Um, it's a series of books about preaching and other things, because I, you know, I never started a church before. This is the first and only one. And uh, one of the books I picked up was called, and it is a hot read, called Mastering Church Finances by Gary Fenton. Uh, so I've had this on my shelf for 20-something years. So before he leaves this morning, he's going to sign it. And if you want to check it out and read it, uh, it'll, you'll love it. Mastering Church Finances. He's written some other books. He's a well-known author and speaker. And again, it is our privilege to have Gary Fenton with us this morning. Gary? Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. So good to be with you. I thought Bart was going to say, before this service is over, I'm going to read that book. <laughs> but it is an honor to be with you today. I've admired this church. I've admired your pastor. And I've always counted a privilege to uh, share in the work of the kingdom in this city together, in this area of our Birmingham, to share ministry together. And now, in fact, I was with you in May and experienced a wonderful worship experience. It was towards the end of May, and uh, I was delighted and honored then when Bart asked me to come and, and speak to you today. Frequently, people will say to me, you know, I wish I could hear God speak to me. And they will say, you know, apparently in the Bible, you heard an audible voice from God. Well, we do still today hear an audible voice from God. Every time you hear Scripture read aloud, you're hearing God speak to you in an audible voice. And one of the joys of a church experience is the church is the body of Christ. And when we read Scripture together, we're hearing God speak in an audible voice through His people. Now today, I want you to stand together, and we're going to read four verses from the book of James, and let's read them aloud in unison. And if we get off rhythm, it's okay, because 
all of that we're saying is what God wants us to hear from his word. From James chapter 1, read with me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the test of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now may God bless the reading, the hearing, and the obeying of his word. You may be seated. In 1993, uh, the middle part of our country, the Midwest, experienced uh, what's sometimes known as a once-in-a-hundred-year flood. portion of it was considered once-in-a-millennial flood. And during 1993, that terrible flood that hit the Midwest, there were all kinds of heroic and tragedy, uh, tragic stories that came out of there. But there was one story that was, it was tragic, but there was a little bit of humor and irony to it as well. Uh, the flood covered such a big area, over 30 thousand square miles at some time were flooded. It impacted uh, a larger area than that. And there was a gentleman who's, who owned a, a house and some property near one of the rivers that was one of the first to flood. And a, uh, a reporter interviewed him, and the interviewer was asking about, uh, you know, had they ever been flooded before? And he said, well, yeah, he says, I've been flooded three times in the last 10 years, but nothing nearly as bad as this. And the lady asking him, the reporter said, well, do you have insurance? He says, no, I can't get insurance on this property. Uh, it's, a, it's in a flood zone, and I can't get, it, can't get insurance. He says, well, how are you going to make it? And he says, well, we've been able to build it back every time. But uh, if this ever happens again, I don't know I'll have... I don't know I'll be able to build it back if it ever happens again. And the reporter did, as sometimes reporters do. Uh, she got involved in the story and rather than just observing, and she said, uh, well, if it's happened three times in ten years, it seems to me the question is not if this is going to happen again, but when it's going to happen again. Why don't you build a house another place? And he said, you know, that's a good idea. But I think my luck's about to change. <laughs> now think about it. He assumed the problem was because of bad luck. But it wasn't. It was where he built his property. And he could keep building there as long as he wanted but there was still going to be the problem of the flood. Now, as long as you and I are living, there are going to be problems in our life. The only, the only place in this city that doesn't have problems is Elmwood Cemetery. Because when you are living and vibrant and alive, you're going to face difficulty. The question is not, if I face problems in the future, the issue is when you're going to face problems in the future. And the Bible 
the Bible is not a book that teaches us how to avoid problems. The Bible instead teaches us how to have problems and they not destroy us spiritually. They not damage us. Because God's people suffer just like the rest of the world suffers. But in that suffering, it does not have to destroy us. And some of you know Christians that have been wilted when suffering comes. All of us have met people like that. Maybe it was there's been a physical problem in their family. Maybe there's been a divorce. Maybe there's been a, a, a loss of income. And maybe they've had a maybe there's been some kind of injustice that's been done to them. And this once vibrant Christian who seemed on fire for God, suddenly they're withdrawn. And they're a shell of what they used to be. And when you talk to them about what happened and why it happened, they will look back at an event and say, that just, that just took the life out of me. That shouldn't ever be said of a believer, but it is. It doesn't have to be that way. We're all going to face difficulties and unfairnesses in our life. How do we prepare for that? Is there a word from God that helps God's people face difficulty and still not be destroyed? There's a powerful word from God. It's found in James chapter 1. We just read four verses of it together. Now, in order to understand James chapter 1, you need to know some background. James, the author of this, he is the natural-born son of Mary and Joseph. That's who we would generally say, you know, in our terminology, we would say it's the half-brother of Jesus. But he, the better way to say it, he is the natural-born son of Mary and Joseph. Tradition tells us, we do not know this for certain, but it seems most likely that James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And you can see, you can see why he would, well, first of all, think of what a difficult life he had. All of his life hearing his parents say, well, your older brother never did that, you know, Jesus was perfect, would have been difficult. But think about Finding out that your brother, there were people who said your brother was the Messiah. You would be skeptical. Well, tradition says he didn't become a believer until the resurrection. And then when he experienced the resurrection, he interacted with his own brother firsthand. If anyone would know who your brother was, it would be James. And he, he knew that this man was alive. And it changed his entire perspective. And after the ascension, James becomes the primary leader at the church of Jerusalem. Because everyone had remembered Jesus and they chose someone that was in his family to be the leader. And he, James understood that he was not the Messiah. He was just a preacher, teacher, leader in the city, in, among the Christians in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem went through intense persecution. And they began to leave. And they went to different parts of the world. And there was a group that met, we don't know exactly where, but they were probably someplace in the Asia Minor area. A group of Jewish Christians who had been in Jerusalem and now are up in Asia Minor. 
And instead of escaping persecution, they're experiencing it more intensely than they ever had in their life. Now, there's a reason why. When they were in Jerusalem, they were persecuted because they were Christians. And when they were in Jerusalem, even though they went through persecution, there was a, there was a common bond they had with everyone because the majority of people in Jerusalem believed in one true and living God. Most of them didn't believe in Jesus, but they believed in the Old Testament. And, you know, the Christians believed in the Old Testament. They believed Jesus was the fulfillment of Messiah. But they had, they had a common worldview that God created everything. But now they're out a long way away from Jerusalem. They're in an area that believes in many gods, not just one God. There is no common worldview. It was a very pluralistic culture. And now they were persecuted because they were Christians, and they were persecuted because they were Jews. They were Jewish Christians. So the persecution was greater than they'd ever experienced before. One little side note. Sometimes today we become very discouraged because the Bible Belt culture is gone. And it is. If you grew up in the South, you, you, know, you expected the, the culture to sort of support your view. That's no longer going to be true. We live in a world where we're going to have constant opposition from many different religions. But don't let that discourage you. Remember, that's what happened in the New Testament. When, that's when God's people left Jerusalem, they faced all kinds of different religions. Don't let that frighten you. The gospel can stand any test any different, really, and it can be compared to anything because it's the only one that's true. But let's go back to where we were on the, the persecution. So James writes a letter to these Christians who are being persecuted more than they've ever been persecuted in their life. And he says to them, he says, consider it or count it, depending on your translation, consider it all joy when all kinds of problems, again, depending upon the translation, or all kinds of trials come upon you. Now, that phrase, considerate, does not mean what it does today. When we say consider something, we say think about it. That word consider really means the, has the idea to make a choice, decide. When he says, count it all joy, it's decide that it's going to be joy in your life. Now, in order to prepare for the tough times that are ahead, you prepare by choosing now to live each day with Christian joy in your life. Our culture... And our way of life tends to treat joy if, if it is the result of a feeling, when we can get ourselves feeling joyous. But do you realize for the Christian, joy is the result of knowledge? Because there are certain things that we know as believers and followers of Jesus that the rest of the world cannot know. First of all, we know that regardless of what happens, God is with us. Emmanuel's not just a Christmas theme. Emmanuel, God with us, it's 
It's a theme that's woven into all of the Bible. Because the, the story of the gospel is that God interrupted human history and through the power and presence of his son, he is with us at all times. It's not about us waiting to go to heaven to experience God. God's with us right now. We will experience it in heaven in a total another dimension. There will be no suffering, no sorrow, no shame, no sin. But now we live in a, in a broken world, but we're never separated from God. As a result of knowing that, we can have joy. There's a second thing that we know. And we know that God always prevails. Now, there are some defeats along the way, but that God ultimately prevails. That's what the book of Revelation is about. There are many people who read the book of Revelation and grow frightened. A Christian should never grow frightened reading the book of Revelation. It was written as a cheerleading book. It was written to people who were in absolute suffering and it was saying God prevails and goes through all of the stories of all of the opposition that will come to the power and the person of God and every time God defeats and ultimately there's victory. You and I know that. And then we also know that God takes that which was intended for evil and turns it into something that's good. Remember the story of Joseph? His brothers kidnapped him. His brothers kidnapped him, then sold him into slavery. And what they intended for evil, the book of Genesis says, turned out for good. And what happened for good? You know, they were able to miss the, the famine that impacted the end, most of the world at that time. God used it as an act of preparation. And so when you and I are dealing with life's difficulties, we can choose every day, not because of what we feel, but what we know. And what you know then changes what you feel. And that's why as Christians, we can count every, in the midst of everything, we can always have joy, even though at our first thought, looking at our circumstances, we may feel absolute defeated. Now, the attitude of joy, that approach to life, that's contagious. And there are Christians who sometimes forget that. Let me illustrate from my own life. I had um, uh, the two grandparents that I remember most. There was my, um, my father's mother. She would be my paternal grandmother. She was a woman. She was very opinionated. She was a Christian. She was in church every Sunday. And if you weren't in church, she would remind you. She would confront you. <laughs> And given a chance, she would drag you to be there. She had a list of rules that were biblical rules for every member of our family. She would confront us at all the time when something was wrong. In that sense of the word, she was a very disciplined person, had had you know, some struggles in her life, but overcame them. And, but growing up, she lived with us three years. And she was always warning us about how bad things were. It was, you know, it's, it, times are tough, but they're going to get worse. They're going to get worse. They're going to get worse. And I can remember as a little boy growing up and thinking, gosh, man, I, I'm, I'm afraid to be an adult. 
because it was, you know, and it was, you know, she would say, Gary, you think it's tough now? Wait till you grow up. My grandfather on the other side of the family was my mother's father. Now, my mother's father was not the most disciplined man in the world. He was a Christian. He didn't become a Christian until he was in adult life, but he was the kind of person that could always believe that God was at work in the worst circumstances. You might say, well, maybe he had an easy life. No. My grandfather on that side of the family lost a son, had one son go to prison. His firstborn grandson was killed in a war. He was injured in an automobile accident and walked with a limp most of his adult life, and he lost his wife due to cancer. But I can remember being around him and there was such a sense of not just wishful thinking, but it was God's going to provide. It's going to be okay. Now, of the two grandparents, one was much more disciplined in many actions, but the one I enjoyed being around and that has influenced my Christian life was the one who had joy in all circumstances. And it's a decision. It's a decision each day as a child of God that you, you'll make. Are you going to look at the circumstances around you and say, this is terrible. Are you going to know those three truths that we just spoke about? You can count it all joy because you know that an all-powerful and limited God is with you. Because you know that God ultimately prevails. And because you know that God can take that which was intended for evil by your enemies, God can turn it into something good. One of the first keys in being prepared for the difficulties of life is choosing each day to live with joy. There's a second truth in this passage, and that is that we prepare by resisting, resenting the tough times by intentionally desiring spiritual maturity. If you do have your Bibles open, I want, there's, I want you to look at uh, verse 3. It says, because you know that the test or the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature. Now, James is writing, and he says, Perse perseverance is just not to make give you a thick skin. It's so that you will experience maturity. And now, listen carefully in that I don't want to be misunderstood on this. So, the goal of the Christian life is not going to heaven. That's not what it is. That's the destination. You and I are going to go to heaven if we're believers and followers in Jesus. Our goal when we get up in the morning is not thinking, what can I do that will help me get to heaven? No, if, you've asked, if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, that's secure. The goal of our life is becoming Christ-like. That's spiritual maturity. Because you and I don't have to think, what do I have to do today in order to get to heaven? We already have that secure. It is our responsibility to become Christ-like. Now, that's important because far too many Christians 
only consider themselves candidates for heaven and they want to do enough that God will let them in and they they don't care if they get in by the skin of their teeth just so they get to go to heaven. But God is in the process of transforming us, reshaping us, rebuilding us. And that's something that we're to desire in our life. And so when problems come, we see them as building blocks that help us not just survive, but to become more Christ-like. Not too long ago, and you may have seen the interview, I think it was on ESPN, uh, I think it was two years ago, there was an NFL football player that was had uh, just finished his rookie season, and he said he was looking forward to training camp already the next year. And the announcer said, why are you looking forward to training camp in the NFL their second year? Almost, uh, almost all players really don't like that time because the demands are so heavy and physical. He says, well, it's not easy. He, says they, he said, I saw what it was last year, and he said, I've never done anything more difficult in my life. But he says, my goal is to become the best football player that I can become. And I know that if I don't go through the, the, the NFL conditioning program and the preseason drills, I will never develop my potential. He says, the pain is worth it because my goal is not just to make the team. My goal is to make a great contribution to the team. Now, are you with me? In the Christian life, sometimes our goal is just to make it. Just one more week. You know, and we're counting down till Jesus comes again. And Jesus is coming again. But we don't live in the countdown. We look on every day and we want to make a contribution for the kingdom of God. That's spiritual maturity. And how do we know that we're spiritual maturity? It is when we're becoming more Christ-like. And notice what he says. It's this perseverance makes us mature. It completes the task. Without some suffering in your life, and by the way, we do not seek suffering. If you seek suffering in the name of martyrdom, remember when you seek martyrdom, that's idolatry. You're thinking, through my suffering, I can save myself. Notice, only through the suffering of Jesus on the cross that saves us. But when we accept martyrdom, or we accept the suffering that comes with it, that's what it means to be holy. It is when we accept what God has given us. Now, but our responsibility is to intentionally seeking to be mature in the faith. Some time ago, oh, while I was at Dawson, there was a, I had a Tuesday morning prayer group. There was sometimes 20 of us and sometimes seven or eight of us. And we would meet on every Tuesday morning at uh, 640 for prayer. And one morning, one of the gentlemen, uh, as we were in the small group, uh, he said, I want you all to pray for me today. He said, I just found out I have cancer. And he said, uh, prognosis is not really good. And he said, I want you to pray for two things. Pray for my healing. But second, 
pray that I won't waste this cancer. He says, this is going to give me some opportunities to share faith with family members, with friends that I've been working on for years. And pray that this disease will not be wasted, but that somehow it will help make me the man that I ought to be. He was 73. He lived to be about 81, and God used it in a powerful way. He was really praying for spiritual maturity. But there's a third way that we we prepare. We prepare by trusting God in the present in order to be prepared for the future. It is in the little things of life. The way you prepare for what the big battles ahead is that you take the little battles of each day. We often want to be the person who's absolutely the hero and going to take uh, whatever happens if it's disease, disaster, divorce, whatever comes in our life, we're going to be ready for it. But you will not be ready for it until you take care of each little, each area in your life by trusting God. Because the essence of faith is not believing that God is. It is James later in the book that reminds us that even the demons tremble and believe. Now, Christian faith is not just believing that God is. It is not just being in awe of God. Authentic Christian faith is believing that God keeps His promises. That's what faith is. Many people believe that God is. But Christians believe that God keeps His promises. Now, that's woven throughout the Bible. In the book of Genesis... The scripture says, and Abraham believed God, and God counted it, or if you're familiar with the King James, or reckoned it to him as righteousness. In other words, when Abraham believed God, God saw that faith as a righteous act, although Abraham was far from a perfectly righteous man. It is in the book of Romans. The apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament, and he says, And the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith that God just is? No, that God keeps his promises. What do we believe about the resurrection? That just mysteriously this man came back to life? No, we believe the promise. We believe the promise that Jesus made, that he he would be brought back from the dead. That's how we know he's Messiah. What do we believe about the end times? We believe that Jesus is coming again. Living the Christian life is believing that God keeps his promises. Now, this is where it can get a little bit painful. Most of us absolutely, most Christians have no doubt believing God's going to provide me a home in heaven. They believe it. And they act as if it's true. Many Christians have great difficulty giving their money to the Lord because they're not sure God can take care of them if they give 10% to the Lord. It's sort of, Lord, you know, you're big enough for heaven, God, but you can't, you can't help me live on 90%. It even gets stronger than that. We know where to tell the truth. That's because we're a 
we serve God who is truth. And we find in ourselves in a difficult situation, and we have to decide, am I going to trust God by telling the truth, or am I going to lie? Well, God, you're big enough to get me to heaven, but you can't make this business deal for me unless I exaggerate and lie a little bit. God, you can take care of heaven, but you're not going to help me get out of this situation that I am unless I lie about what I did and when I did it and where I was. And so we, we trust our way rather than the promises of God. And when you trust God daily and the little things, and remember that's how the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. When you're praying that, then you trust that God will give you not groceries for the week, but all you need today. Give us this day. It's the idea that tr we trust God can be trusted for every little event. And when you have enough of those little events, you're going to be able to trust him for when the big problem comes. This last year, I had an opportunity to visit with a, with a businessman that's a uh, facing some very difficult times uh, in his life due to health issues and a variety of things. And I, I was admiring him for the way he was dealing with it. He's a gentleman that uh, is in his early 80s, um, still working, still taking care of responsibilities, but he has some severe issues in the life. And I said, and I was really asking, how, what's the secret of it? And he said, you know, I've been a believer now for about 60 years. And he says, what I'm facing now, the only preparation I know I can tell you that's helped me is I've trusted God every day for the little things. And he said, I never thought I would have any issue this big in my life. But it's here. But have learned that God can be trusted. I never thought I'd face a problem this big. He said, I thought, I'd, I thought I'd be home with the Lord before anything like this ever happened to me and my family. But he said, it's all of those years of taking it one day at a time. And it's not enduring it one day at a time. It is trusting God one promise at a time. Now, what I've said today is true for believers and followers of Jesus. It is true for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not as just as a proposition, but they know that the presence of God is with them. If you do not know that, I invite you to allow God to interrupt your life and make his presence real. Because I don't know what's going to happen in your life exactly, but I can tell you, you're going to face difficulty. And there's nothing that I can say and probably not much you can do that will keep that difficulty from happening. But it doesn't have to destroy you. If you approach it with joy, if you aren't resentful but you see it as something you go through that makes you stronger, and if you'll start trusting one day at a time, now, would you stand, please, and I, I, 
allow me to pray for you as a group and as individuals knowing that we're going to face difficulty. Join with me. Father, as we look across these people, we thank you that we are brothers and sisters in you. And Father, I confess that uh, compared to some people in life, my problems have been small. And that our problems are not all equal. And, but we claim right now, by the authority of your word, we do not have to live defeated. Father, we come before you today not knowing what's going to happen this week. And we don't ask that you reveal to us where the next bump in the road is going to happen, where we hit the next brick wall, where uh, the next hurt's going to come from, but instead we ask you to prepare us for it. And we accept your truth. You're not only in this room on a Sunday morning, but you're with your people in the workplace, in the home, on the highway. You're, you are truly Emmanuel 24-7. So, Father, we never have to feel abandoned. And we claim you this morning. We claim that whatever happens this week can make us stronger and more mature in our faith. Forgive us for the times, Lord, that we've we really blamed you when we had spiritual failure because we said, Lord, you let this happen to us, see what it did to us. But everything that you've done, Lord, it's been to make us stronger and better. Father, we trust you. We trust you over every little detail of life. We don't ask you to make it easy, but instead we accept the promise to make us strong. And we choose today to consider it all joy, to count, to count it totally joy that you're with us and walking with us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor. In the moments we have left, 